on this episode of Ed Scoop's Cutting Edge Podcast from Scoop News Group. Parting words from Virginia Tech's outgoing CIO. This is Ed Scoop's Cutting Edge Podcast. Every other Tuesday, we dive deep with decision makers on what's next in higher ed IT and online learning. I'm your host, Jake Williams. The longtime chief information officer for the Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University, or Virginia Tech, is stepping down. Scott Midkiff, who's led the university IT operations since 2012, will step down from his role. He's returning to teaching as a faculty member at the university. During his tenure, Midkiff says he worked to advance the use of tech to support teaching, learning, and research. He tells Ed Scoop's Lindsay McKenzie, what's next? So I uh, began at Virginia Tech as a faculty member in electrical and computer engineering and always have been. I I make the comment sometimes that I am a professor of electrical and computer engineering, but serve as uh, the vice president for IT and CIO. And so I am returning to my faculty roots uh, after uh, my successor is found for this position. Will you be teaching and research or just teaching? A combination of teaching and research. I have a little time to figure out exactly uh, what that is. One of the great things about being a uh, faculty member at a research university is that you really have a lot of flexibility in terms of how you contribute. And certainly I want to be teaching, but I also want to be doing research and probably things that are a little bit more applied, things that uh, involve others and support others. Is that what drove your decision? It's, it's time to do it. Uh, that's always been my uh, my path when I came into this job. That was kind of my vision uh, that I would serve in this position for some amount of time and then return to the faculty. I never had a timeline on it, but you know, just uh, from time to time, kind of you know checked in uh, on that, and uh, you know, n- now is the time and. Uh, I can't necessarily say, oh, here's why that's, you know, now's the time, but just, uh, you know, I, I, I think I think I need uh, kind of a fresh view, if you will, and, and return back to faculty roots. And uh, and I think some, you know, new perspective, new energy for uh, the role, the CIO role at Virginia Tech will be good. Can you tell me a little bit how the institution has changed since you first arrived? I've been at Virginia Tech for over 36 years. And, uh, you know, it, it, it has changed a lot. Um, my, my office right now is off campus, but I was over on campus today and sort of took a, took a long walk back from the other side of campus back to where my office is today. And just the amount of construction is just amazing, right? And new buildings. And, and that, of course, is reflective of growth. You know, we've had growth in uh, our undergraduate uh, enrollment. We've had certainly growth in graduate enrollment and faculty size during that time. We've had um, a lot more uh a lot of research activity, you know, tremendous growth and sponsored research and, and research activity and other other kind of scholarly activity. Uh, certainly the university, you know, it was, it was a very strong uh, university when I came, came here in 1986. Uh, engineering was certainly very strong. But, but we've gotten even stronger. I would say that, uh, you know, in 1986, we uh, had a very strong regional reputation, uh, you know, sort of this part of the U.S. You know, now we have a lot of national and even international recognition that we did not have 36 years ago. And, and, and sort of in all that, the university's also become a uh, sort of more complicated place, if you will, uh, a lot more 
lot more players, a lot more uh, need to, you know, bringing it back to the CIO role, uh, a lot more need for technology, uh, supporting our research, supporting our teaching and learning, uh, supporting our uh, administrative units and who've had, had to scale up. And I think one of the really important things that the university has thought about as it, as, as it has grown is how do you, uh, how do you grow? But at the same time, not grow sort of your administrative enterprise at the same rate, right? So how do you become more efficient? How do you take advantage of scale? And, uh, you know, many areas to do that. And and just about all of those ways of growing, uh, you know, at not the same scale as the enterprise itself rely on technology. So it has been and will continue to be an exciting time for IT and the CIO role at Virginia Tech. I think I'm right in thinking that Virginia Tech was one of the main, if not the main reason that Amazon chose to come to Virginia and build its second HQ here. And I think one of the commitments was creating a lot more graduates in computer science and engineering. Is that a large part of the growth that you're describing? That, that's a part of it. A lot of that growth is, is is happening now over the past few years, but is is still ahead of us. Um, you know, really, one of the things I like about Virginia's approach, not just Virginia Tech, but the Commonwealth of Virginia's approach to uh, courting Amazon for its HQ2 uh, is that it really looked at uh, investing in higher education right across across the state, not just Virginia Tech. And so really every public university uh, has been able to benefit uh, from that investment. And certainly that investment is, is focused on uh, computer science, computer engineering and related areas. Uh, certainly Virginia Tech was probably uh, sort of the largest recipient of that investment. And uh, we are uh, building a new uh, innovation campus in Alexandria, Virginia, a beautiful facility, uh, happened to uh, have the honor of being at the topping out ceremony for that building last month. So it is coming along, occupancy expected uh, in summer of 2024. But really more important than the building are the programs, right? So the programs are already underway. A lot of focus there in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area on graduate programs, uh, masters, especially also Ph.D. But there's also a lot of emphasis on undergraduate programs here in Blacksburg. And uh, but we're also seeing growth in, you know, in those programs that at all the universities, all the public universities, at least in the state. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, like that's that's future growth. We've we we are ramping up that very nicely. I saw I've seen some some data recently. Uh, we're going to take a kind of a big step up in terms of the number of students we have enrolled in innovation campus programs this fall. Uh, but certainly we're seeing enrollment uh, growing uh, here in Blacksburg, also in, in computer science computer engineering. But there's been growth just uh, across the university uh, over the last, you know, three plus decades. It's pretty consistently, I think, been held up as a real pioneer, I guess, in technology and technology, obviously, in the name. I wonder, did that ever intimidate you or does it sort of create an expectation that the back-end technology has to reflect how innovative and forward-thinking the institution is on the outside? It is certainly, uh, it, it never, it, it was never scary or anything. In fact, you know, I, I've embraced it. I've been here a long time. I know the university well. Um, 
And, and I think, you know, there, that we have some examples where uh, Virginia Tech and, and IT have been very forward thinking on technology, but obviously, you know, resources are limited and that can't be across the board, right? So there certainly are sometimes expectations that we are going to be, uh, you know, really f- forward thinking out in front of folks in every area. And that's just, you know, not, not feasible. You know, one of the things I've I've noticed and I've heard from many of my CIO colleagues is that, you know, oftentimes our comparison is not to how, you know, how we do things versus another university. It's how do we do things versus the Amazon experience, for example. And certainly the the scale that we're operating at is is much smaller than the scale of of Amazon. So sometimes we do get expectations that are uh, very high for us. And, you know, we can sometimes meet those and sometimes not. But I think it's really that intersection of you know, sort of delivering IT services and uh, being at a, a research university, a research university with very strong engineering and computer science that's let us do some very interesting things over the years, uh, some before my time and, and some during my time. I, you know, we were uh, really sort of the, the start of what's called the Blacksburg Electronic Village uh, back, in, back in the day, uh, many years ago, and really the first uh, electronic commerce transaction Transaction over the internet actually took place in Blacksburg, uh, thanks to work from uh, you know sort of my predecessor and and other folks in IT, some of whom are still here. We are celebrating uh, 25 years of operating IP version six on our uh, campus network this year. We put it into production in January. Uh, you know, 25 years ago, and a lot of organizations are still trying to figure that out. You know, we've done some very innovative things, I think, with uh, with wireless more recently, with some of the things that we, we've done with, with Spectrum. Uh, going back a few years, uh, System 10 was this really very innovative cluster built with uh, originally sort of Mac computers and uh, hit the uh, number three on the top 500 list in November 2003 at a cost that was like single digit millions versus triple digit millions and uh, compared to its competitors. You know, I think number one that year cost uh, over $100 million, whereas System 10 uh, cost somewhere, depending on what you sort of lump in, anywhere, you know, six to $10 million. Just some very remarkable things that have happened at Virginia Tech. I think it's interesting. There is such an intersection between your work with the IT department and the researchers. And I I think your journey is quite unusual. So I'm interested how you made that transition from faculty to the administration side. You know, it wasn't... um wasn't on my career plan or anything, I'll tell you that. But through sort of a variety of events that uh, that will not get into, President Charles Steger at the time did ask me to take this position. And, um, you know, he, he told me that the things I really needed to focus on were teaching and learning. And especially, you know, if you go back 10 years ago, uh, what, does, what does online learning mean? We were doing online learning. We've had uh, online degree programs since uh, 2000 or 19, you know, the, the late 1990s. I've actually uh, been a part of, was, was a part of starting one of those, our Master of Information Technology degree program. Uh, and the other thing he said was important was, you know, high performance computing, computing resor- uh, support for research. 
And how do we really sort of differentiate, make our researchers more competitive uh, through research computing? And those were certainly things that resonated with me. I tell people that if, if he'd come and said, Scott, we need you to, uh, you know, to modernize our ERP, I probably would have told him to, you know, keep looking. <laughs> you need to find someone else. But uh, obviously, our, our ERP and those business functions are, are very important. I think I've learned a lot about that uh, over the last 10 years. But my passion has always been supporting the mission, supporting uh, teaching and learning, supporting research. How was your pandemic transition from in-person to remote learning? I mean, it, it was tough for everybody, right? And and I think really IT organizations across the world can take a lot of credit for, you know, how, how they enabled that transition, how they enabled uh, universities to continue operating. And, I, you know, I, I, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that it's really information technology that let higher ed keep running uh, during the early days of the pandemic. I, I think, you know, it, it was it was tough at Virginia Tech. It was tough on people, tough on our students. Uh, I'm not making the claim that it was seamless and, uh, you know, that, that we were able to sort of deliver uh, remote teaching that was as, as good, as effective as our um, sort of traditional in-person uh, courses. You know, we've we have done online for a long time, but we are fundamentally a, a residential university. But I do think that, you know, the the transition was easier for us uh, than it was at a lot of other universities. And, and I attribute that to a few different things. One with, you know, with what we might call great foresight, but really just kind of a luck. Uh, we had done two major programs in our teaching and learning space. We had done what we call the Next Generation LMS project, where we shifted from on-premises Sakai to Canvas in the cloud. And if I had, if, if we had been going into the pandemic still running on-premises with Sakai, it would not have gone well. We just could not have scaled up to the growth and use. But, you know, fortunately, Canvas was able to do that for us. And in Structure, the company that, that runs Canvas. The other project we did was what we called Video for Instruction. We kind of looked comprehensively at how do we integrate video from video conferencing, classroom video, video management, video editing. And we had basically already moved to an enterprise Zoom license before the pandemic was a thing. We had implemented uh, Kaltura for video management, and we had all these integrated together already before the pandemic hit, right? So faculty were already, many faculty were already fluent with, with Zoom and being able to really sort of move video from from Zoom into Kaltura for video management and then link that into their course sites in, in Canvas. So we had the technology there and some number of faculty that were proficient, certainly not everybody like it needed to be uh, once the pandemic started. We also have had for, uh, it's probably over 30 years now, something called, originally called the Faculty Development Institute. We now call it the Professional Development Network. So we had a kind of an active program where faculty learned about teaching with technology. And so we already had that program. We had ways of training faculty through workshops and seminars. And we had already been doing some of that online. 
And we also, through that program, uh, really had a lot of connections out to support people in departments, to our libraries and others. And so when the pandemic hit, you know, we had to like do a lot of work really fast, but the technology was in place. We had training programs. We just had to scale up and we had uh, connections around the university partnerships and collaborations that let us do that. The teaching and learning transition went more smoothly for us than the work from home transition, even though we did reasonably well with that. But, you know, that's that's kind of like a whole different set of processes. Uh, you know, we we had business units that still really liked their paper. And of course, that had to change very quickly. Um you know, really our whole approach of, you know, a, a lot of the security observability that we had when folks were working on campus went away as they were doing their work remotely. Uh, you know, we had to scale up our VPN and some other things and, and we got through it okay. And it, and it, uh, you know, it could have been a lot harder, but it, uh, it uh, I would say we were not as well prepared there as we were on the teaching and learning side. When you have so many people who are very capable technologists and computer experts, is it tempting to try and build everything in-house rather than outsource? <laughs> How do you make this decision? That, that's a great question. And, and you know, I, I think every big IT organization in higher ed has folks that are confident that they can build it better than uh, what the vendors are providing. And, and given enough, enough resources, they may be right. But some of what Virginia Tech and other universities have done, you know, early. And I think about the identity and access management space. You know, we, we still have a lot of our own code in that space, as do other universities. And that's that's what it took, you know, back when we were first starting to do uh, IAM and, and higher ed. That was just kind of the model. And now, you know, now we've moved to where uh, we have to figure out what's the right mix of, you know, some of our own code, uh, some community based code, which we've used for a long time, but also then commercial products. What we're trying to do, and it's a journey, it's always going to be a journey, but what we're trying to do is really figure out where do we apply our innovation, our creativity, our sort of unique thing to projects and efforts where where they're needed, right? Where we're going to differentiate ourselves, where we have some unique situation, uh, and then try to rely on sort of off-the-shelf existing services, you know, work, working with working with vendors, working with uh, community source projects uh, to be able to kind of meet the needs that that we all have. Just because you can do something doesn't always mean you should, right? <laughs> That's right. It, but it's, I've got to say, it's a discussion we have to have sometimes yeah. with some of our folks. Yeah. I bet. And when you look back on your 11 years almost as CIO, what are some of your biggest or proudest achievements? There are a lot of things that we've done that I've been, you know, very, very proud of. And some of them are sort of, you know, kind of big and dramatic. And, you know, we just talked about. COVID and, and response. And that's an area where, you know, we should all be very proud of that, right? It was, it was really a, a lot of, a lot of pressure on IT organizations and, you know, our, our folks really stepped up and uh, served the university very well through that. You know, I look at some things, you know, kind of behind that I talked about video for instruction and, and where we are with Canvas. I think we're in a, you know, kind of a really good place with our technology stack in that area. Uh, we were we were very early with uh, multi-factor authentication at universities, and you know that's. Um remember being at a, at a meeting of Virginia higher ed CIOs once, and we were beginning our, our program and really 
you know, the goal, not that we ever necessarily could get there, but our goal was everything, everyone. And, um, you know, some of my peers were saying I was crazy, you know, we're, we're never going to get there. You know, there's no need for that. And, and I, I think they've all been proven wrong on that front. Um, cause multi-factor is certainly, you know, while not a cure-all for security, it's a very important piece of, of kind of maintaining a strong security posture. You know, we've, we've done a lot of work with things in, and with the cloud as well. We've, you know, deplo- we deployed our first uh, sort of enterprise application, you know, back to building it ourselves. It was something we chose to build ourselves. I'm not sure that's the right call, but it's the call we made at the time. And, you know, we deployed that in Amazon Web Services. And, and that was, uh, you know, really a very big move for us. And, and, We've always kind of considered ourselves to be cloud appropriate rather than cloud first, not going into cloud just because it's going into cloud, but, you know, making the right decisions. But there are a lot of times when when cloud is the right approach. And I think we've built the workforce, the capabilities to uh, be able to do that. You know, it's a journey as well, but uh, that's something I'm proud of. And, I, you know, I think I've helped to uh, provide some leadership in that area. Probably like if like the single thing, this is going to be like not exactly core to the university, but something I really am proud of is the Virginia Cyber Range. And it's uh, something that was, you know, I, I can remember back to a meeting with the state secretary of technology uh, at the time and Karen Jackson, who was asking about uh, what we know about Cyber Range and uh I didn't know a whole lot about cyber ranges then myself, but I had a uh, was uh, on the committee of a former PhD student who actually was running the Michigan Cyber Range at the time, and so I said, uh, you know, I here's the person to go talk to, and uh, we started talking to him as well, and. We kind of learned from him about uh, what was important. We also learned from him some things. Uh, maybe we ought to do this differently, given what we're trying to do in Virginia. Fast forward a little bit, and Virginia Tech was actually funded by the state to provide the Virginia Cyber Range to K-12 community colleges and uh, universities throughout the state. And you know, we're we're serving over 400 institutions today in the Virginia Cyber Range. Over half the high schools in the state, actually well over half the high schools in the state teach cybersecurity classes using the Virginia Cyber Range. Virginia, I think, is pretty widely recognized as being number one for K-12 cybersecurity education. The cyber range is a big part of that. We're widely used in almost every community college and, and almost every public university in the state. We have a very large number of certified uh, cybersecurity programs at the community college and university level. I can't take much credit for really sort of doing the work. David Raymond, that runs that program, he and his team have done great work, but I'm really proud of it. I think of it as kind of like, uh, you know, seeing the acorn of an oak tree. And uh, that's, um, I'm proud of that. Is there anything, if you had your time again, you would do differently? Absolutely. <laughs> I can think of a lot of, you know, kind of like specific decisions and everything. I think communications, transparency is really important. And I think we've done a, a good job of that. But if if I could sort of 
turn the dial up on something, it would be communications. Universities like Virginia Tech, other research universities, you know, we're big, complicated organizations. It's really hard to communicate across different constituencies uh, from other administrators to deans and associate deans to faculty to students, undergraduate and graduate. And, you know, while, while I think we've done a really good job with that, I've got a great communicator that works. Uh, works for me, she and her team. But, um, you know, and I'm not talking so much about that kind of communication, probably a little bit more on like what the CIO should do, what what kind of those those relationships ought to be. If I could go back and and do it again, everything I did in communications, I'd probably double um, because it's just so important. Back to the two-factor, for example, you know, two-factor authentication is, it's it's not fun. Like it doesn't really add value to anyone, right? Other than protecting their their data and their resources, which is absolutely important. But it's just kind of like this extra burden, right? Of of things you have to do. And uh, students don't like it. Faculty don't like it. And when we first started to roll out two-factor authentication, we had a petition, uh, I think started mainly by students, you know, to try to tell us to stop doing two-factor. And it got up to like 800 some signatures. And there was an article in this in the uh, school newspaper about how burdensome this was and what a bad idea it was. And kind of the turning point was really we had some student leaders at the university that came forward and and they got it right. They understood why this was important, but told us that correctly that, you know, we needed to do a better job of getting the word out to students about why it it was important. And they volunteered to help us. And um, about four months after that very negative article in the school newspaper, there was another article about like how useful this was and how important it was for the university to do it. And so that kind of communications is really important. You know, and some of this is challenging. We're trying to get the word out today on why uh, improved endpoint detection and response, data loss prevention are important. If you kind of look at how they work and you think about privacy and security concerns, uh, you know, they're really pretty well addressed by the technology. And, and, you know, we have policies to help us with that as well. But there's some issues there that are kind of complicated, right? And uh, how, do you, how do you communicate effectively out, not to IT people, but to you know, just kind of people that are trying to do their work in various disciplines as, as faculty or students. It's a challenge. You know, we're we're doing our best, but it's a challenge. Aside from working on communication and building those relationships, is there any advice you would give to your successor? I would hope that they would continue to serve, you know, really the, the mission of the university. I think there's this balance between uh, sort of the business needs of the university and the, that core mission, the core missions of teaching and learning, you know, research and innovation. We're a land grant university, so outreach and engagement are in there as well. Always remember the mission of the university and, and why IT is there. Communicate more, uh, <laughs> be innovative where it's needed, but uh, don't be afraid to uh, follow the pack for sort of the more commodity things. Scott Midkiff, the outgoing CIO of Virginia Tech. You can read more about him and Virginia Tech at edscoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Cutting Edge Podcast is available at cuttingedgepodcast.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. This show is a Scoop News Group production. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help make it happen, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next time, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.